I would like to invite somebody special up. Um, Kayla Judkins. Come on up, Kayla. She's going to, not only does she have a really cool last name, Judkins. I don't know why I like that name, but it's a really good last name. But she, uh, she's getting ready to go into the Sheriff's Academy. So she's going to be, uh, I don't know how often she'll be with us over the next two months. Um, but she said she would come and share her story with us before um, she leaves. So she is up here tonight, and we are excited to hear from her. All right. Hello. Um, so I grew up going to church with my family. Uh, both of my parents were pretty involved at our home church um, until I was about eight years old. They decided to separate and eventually get a divorce. And um, so we stopped going completely to church. So I never really was a part of one after that. And um, But growing up, I always knew God and I always wanted to know more about him. So anytime that my friends from school would invite me to church camps or youth group things, I would just jump on it and get so excited about it. And um, I always felt great going and um, I always came back just wanting to learn more about the word. And then high school came and um, I was really into sports and I was on varsity as a freshman so I was with older people a lot and um, I got into partying a little bit and every time I went out and I um, drank with my friends. I felt a conviction and I knew it wasn't feeling guilty of being in trouble from my parents because they trusted me a little too much and um, I saw how alcohol played a part in my parents' life and I didn't want that for me so I knew that conviction was God. Uh, summer going into senior year, I went to Hume Lake and um, I renewed my faith and decided that senior year I was going to go to church and stay away from the party scene and trying to fit in. And so senior year came and of course there was tons of peer pressure and um, I had problems I was dealing with with my mom's drinking and our relationship and my fear of disappointing my dad in basketball. And um, financially it was always rough for my parents and I always felt angry towards them for that. So those kind of took a toll on my faith in God. And um, senior year, I had this really intimidating, scary English teacher. And um, I was so scared of her at first, but she would always just say how she was a Christian and a pastor's wife. And so one day, I just needed to talk to someone, and I didn't know who to go to. And something told me she was someone I can trust and go to for anything. And so like I said, at first I was super scared. But um, I came to realize that God placed her in my life for a reason, and he sure did because she always gives me godly advice, and her like talks that I had with her, they like really influenced my decisions in high school and even in my life today. And so after high school, I went to a Christian college in Minnesota to play basketball, but um, I ended up hurting my meniscus, and um, during season, I had to make a decision to come home and God had other plans for me so I came home that summer and when I came home my grandma passed away and my parents drinking was really bad and um, so I started getting angry towards God again and 
me and my friend Shelly one day went to um, La Habra, my old high school, to visit that teacher. And she invited me to come to her church. And um, at the time, I didn't have a church to go to. So I was a little nervous about coming back to church, especially with an old teacher of mine. But it was one of the best decisions that I've ever made because I love it here at Calvary Old Town. And um, I'm blessed to be part of such an amazing church. So I owe a huge thank you to Laura Johnson for being such a godly influence in my life. And. Um, so I've been coming here for a little over a year now, and um, coming to church and learning the word every week has been so awesome. And I've learned how to forgive and love people when they are hard to love. And I mean, I still fail every day, but now that I'm living for God, I know how to deal with things that hurt me much better than I did before I gave my life fully to Christ. Um, I was baptized last month, and it was amazing, and I've never felt so strong in my walk with Christ like I do today. Uh, so like Dave said, I'm starting the Sheriff's Academy next week, and um, I know that if I didn't have God in my life like with me through this whole process, I wouldn't be in the position that I am today. So I sometimes just think how good God is and see how he's working in my life, and I'm just so amazed. and. I know that the academy is going to be one of the hardest things that I'm ever going to go through, but Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And um, that verse is so true because through all the things, like the hard things we go through in life, um, when we have God, he gives us the strength to get through them. And it may not be easy, but he gets us through. And um, one last verse that I want to share is Jeremiah 29.11. It says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Life is hard sometimes, but um, reading this verse is so comforting. Sometimes we say, why me, or why does this happen to me? Um, but this verse just reassures us that God has good plans for those who believe in him and trust in him. So I just want to tell everyone, no matter what you've been through or what you're going through, know that when you have faith and trust in God and live for his glory, you can do anything, and his plans for us are far greater than we can ever imagine. Thank you. Hold on, Kayla. Hold on. I'm going to pray for Kayla. The La Havre crew's all standing. You got a standing O. <laughs> Let's just pray for Kayla. Lord God, we thank you so much for Kayla. We thank you for just her kind spirit, her joyful uh, smile and laugh. And Lord God, we do pray that as she goes into the Sheriff's Academy, you'd bless her, protect her. Lord, let her be a bright light uh, to all those recruits. Father, we pray that she do well, Lord, and that she would uh, be in the top of everything, Lord, and use that that place to shine her light for, for you, Lord, to share your gospel. So bless her, Lord. Give her great wisdom and give her the energy. Give her the ability to learn all that she needs to learn and uh, to uh, the strength for the endurance that she needs. We thank you, dear God, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks. Thank you, Kayla. We're in First John chapter 4 and verse 7. Moving on through 
1 John. Now, I want to encourage you. We're reading this section, a portion each week, but 1 John is such a short book, letter. You could read it through every week. As long as we've been doing this, you can be reading through 1 John at home. And uh, I really encourage you to do that, to meditate on the Word of God. And um, it'll really help you take it in and, and uh, make it, own it, and put it into your heart and your mind and be ready to, to live it out. So... 1 John chapter 4 and verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world, so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Verse 13. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us. Because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Lord God, I just pray you'd open up your word to us now. Let us receive it with open hearts and minds. Help us to apply it to our lives. And God, may my words be honoring to you, O Lord. Amen. You know, when you uh, are in high school, you can kind of see the different crowds and like who they are. Like you can see like, oh, you know, that's kind of more the jock type crowd. That's more the, the band crowd. And you can see different crowds. And, and the way you distinguish different crowds often is their mannerisms, their, the way they dress. And so you can know that the hip-hop crowd versus the, the classical crowd. My high school did not have a classical crowd or a hip-hop crowd. But you can know, when I was a freshman in high school, I was on the basketball team. I was like the only white guy on the basketball team. So there's like, this, our, our team picture has all the, the, this team. And there's like this little white kid with a comb over. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> standing there in the front. Hey, I made the team, though. But anyway, when I was on the team, I, I acted like my teammates. In fact, I, I started talking like a lot of my teammates. I would say, what's up with that? <laughs> yeah, I know. It's kind of embarrassing. 
But uh, I listened to rap. I, I was a part of my team because that's, those were the people I were around, was around and identified with. Same is true for cultures. We can tell different cultures or ethnicities by their, who they, who they, what they look like, the food they like, and all those, sorts of, all those identifying, key identifiers. And we can tell who associates with who. Well, even more so it's true with the Christian. The Christian is supposed to be identified with Christ. But what does that look like? What does our identity look like in Christ? Well, John is telling us again, it's love. We've been going through this cycle in 1 John, learning about abiding in Christ, learning about what it means to live for God and in Christ. And it's coming back, it just keeps, John keeps kind of repeating, faith, loving others. Faith, loving others. Live as he commands you to, love others. By the way, watch out for antichrist or false teachers. Well, tonight again, we're going to be talking about love for others, but more so we're going to be narrowing in on the love of God because this statement that John makes, God is love, is a pretty deep theological statement. And, and I want to give a good amount of time to that statement. Notice that John doesn't say, love is God. Love is the highest thing. Love is God. You know, a lot of world religions do that today. Love is God. Well, what is love? What, what, what does that mean? And we're going to explore that tonight. But John says that God is love. And what does that mean? Well, all the activities of God are loving. Everything he does is motivated and done with love. That means that God creates in love. That he, he judges in love. He rules in love. Every aspect of God Every activity is done in love. Well, think about that for a minute. If God has an attribute, because he's an infinite God, because he is an unchanging God, that attribute of him will not only be infinite, but also unchanging. So if there is a, 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 an attribute such as love, that means that God has an infinite love. And everything about his character will be marked by that love. We have a hard time sometimes associating love with judgment. Because we, we, we almost start to make God into some sort of schizophrenic. And be like, well, here in the Old Testament, he's judging. And over here, he's loving. But we don't ever say that when, when God told Joshua to go conquer the land that he was doing it with total love. It's a hard idea, isn't it? But we have to recognize that because God is not torn within his being because he's a perfect being. So when, when the Bible says that God is love, we must look to him to find out and to determine what love actually is. And some of us may have trouble with that. Some of us may go, well, wait a minute. If he's love, why does he allow these disasters? Why is he allowing ISIS to do this? Or why is he allowing the, the wars that are happening? Or what's going on in Syria? Why is he allowing what went on in the Ukraine? Why is he, why, why, why? Why are there starving people if God is love? Well, as much, as easy as it would be to blame God for everything, we've got to first look at ourselves 
and recognize that I got a sin problem. I have a problem that puts me first all the time. And, and I know power corrupts. I mean, just look at people. When they get in power, I mean, anybody who works a job at McDonald's can know that power corrupts. You get managers who are bigger than their britches. Just any, any job you work in, you're going to see power corrupts. Any type of authority or weight, we love. We grab hold of it and we abuse it because it's in our nature. I, I don't know of any work spot in the secular world that goes, you know what, guys, I'm, I'm your boss. I'm here to serve you. I'm here to help you out whatever way you can go. I mean, hopefully there's Christian bosses out there like that. But usually it's like the poop rolls downhill. Who do I blame? That's the way the world goes. Not so with God. We need to look to God and see what love is. And John gives us the perfect example. John says, here's the proof of the love of God. In this is love, verse 10, that we, that not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. We've seen that word come up already before, propitiation. Uh, the NIV translates it atoning sacrifice, and that's an accurate translation. I like propitiation because it's a word that we don't use ever, and we got to kind of look it up and see the depth of that word, that not only did he atone or appease the wrath of God coming against us, that God, Jesus Christ's sacrifice on that cross appeased God's wrath. It took away God's judgment upon sinful me, but then it actually removed it He's also the expiation for our sins. He removes it. He not only covers us, but removes all sin. And that's why Isaiah prophesied, though your sins are like scarlet, you shall be white as snow. Because Jesus Christ's work on the cross was the propitiation. He was the atoning sacrifice. So this is how we know what love is. Not that we loved first. We didn't make the first move. We didn't work out a way to like, God, I really want to love you, but I just don't know who or how you are or whatever. It wasn't like that at all. In fact, Romans tells us in chapter 5, verse 7, it says, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have, been, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. Paul tells us that we were not just sinners, but enemies of God when he died for us. That's love. It, it's an extreme act of love to be an all-powerful, infinite all-knowing God, knowing the hearts and minds of men to say, I love them and I'm willing to sacrifice myself for them. Yeah, I know, I'm not even on their radar. They could care less about being holy or righteous. The only th good they do is what pleases them with their own conscience to say, oh yeah, this is, I think, good. It's not, God, I want to do good. I want to please you. You teach me what is good. No, the sinful mind is just like, well, this seems good. That's why I do it. See, that puts self as God. God wasn't even on our radar. We didn't, weren't living out our life for him. In fact, our very existence in sin was against 
God. We were enemies of God. So what is love? This is love. That he would die in your place being his enemy. I can't think of any greater example in this world of love, self-sacrificing love. As they hurled insults on him, at him on the cross, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Amazing, on that cross as Jesus underwent the torture of that day, the rejection, the judgment from the people. Pilate, he even told Pilate, hey, no man takes my life unless I lay it down willingly. There's Jesus allowing himself to be beaten, to be tortured, to be strung up on a cross and die for his enemies so he could call you friends, so he could reconcile you to God. Man, I don't know, I've never had a friend like that in my life that was my enemy first and said, you know what, I'm gonna lay everything down because I wanna be your friend. Never, it's never happened in my life except through Jesus Christ. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another, 1 John 4, 11. You know, it's not natural at all for us to love. We may think it's a natural thing. We may think that, oh, I got this down. I know what love is. I, and, and the fact is, we all have an idea of what love is. We have, we have some thoughts about love. But I think if you start to examine love in your life, if you were to start to define it, you would find that your, your definition of love, your examination would show that your love is very self-centered and self-seeking. Young people often define love as it makes me feel good. Well, that person makes me feel good. They make me feel validated. Well, that's not at all self-sacrificing love. That's self-enhancing love. That's looking to myself and how that person meets my need. Marriages that fall apart today, it's because, well, I just don't love them anymore. I fell out of it. Like love is a ditch of some sort. You're just like, whoops, <laughs> whoops, I'm out of it, you know. <laughs> I, don't, I don't understand that. No, if we start to look and learn how God defines love, we find how unnatural it is for us to love like him. And the challenge it is that we need to go to him and help, have him help us define how we should love, what love looks like in our lives. And I'll tell you right now, this is going to be tough for us as we look at it. It will be convicting because in each of us, as we look at God's love, we're going to go, not worthy, not worthy. Well, I don't want to forgive that person. Well, I want to hold a grudge. And it's going to bring up stuff in us that makes us uncomfortable. Today I was speaking to somebody and, and uh, I had confronted them on being deceitful in an aspect of their lives. They're, they've been suffering and they don't understand why um, this person won't listen to them, their parents won't listen to them and, and provide for them. And I said, well, you can't expect God to bless you when what you're doing is being deceitful. And I can't go into the details about it. The person responded to me is like, well, that's easy for you living in an ivory tower and not down with the rest of us. I was like, what? No, it's not easy for me. In fact, of anybody, I know what it's like to be a screw up. I know what it's like to not do it the way God wants to do it and do it my way. But as a pastor, I'm going to tell you what the word says. 
And you should respect me for being truthful with you. They said, okay, I respect you. But I don't want to do it. And I was like, hey, that's between you and the Lord. <laughs> There's the, the guilt trip. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But seriously, that is between them and the Lord. So when we talk about love tonight, I want you to realize that I'm not just going to tell you what you should do, not even thinking or reflecting on my own self. Trust me, this sermon has been brewing in my heart all week long. It's been confronting me all week long, and I've been dealing with it. So let's talk about love's definition. 1 Corinthians 13, great place to go. Paul lays out love. And we're talking 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 4. If you want to turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 verse 4, it may pop up. I'm not sure I didn't tell them earlier that I was doing this. So the word love here, and I'm sure any of you have spent any time in a church have heard this word. The word is agape. And it, it's a, a word for, that the Bible often uses for God's loving kindness or unconditional love sometimes is translated. Now, this word isn't always, the anytime you see the word agape, it doesn't mean unconditional God's love, like this is the, only the love that God has. But the New Testament authors often use it to define a difference between the love that God has for us and how God sees love versus the love that we normally use on a day-to-day -day basis. So there's other loves in the Bible. Phileo is one. Phileo is often termed as a brotherly love. But sometimes John will use these terms interchangeably. So you can't just look up on Blue Letter Bible and say, oh, it says agape, it means this. Because the fact is in the Septuagint, which is the Old Testament version of the Greek, when it talks about the rape of Dinah, it says that he was agape in her. Okay, so we know that that's not, that's not God's love. Okay, so th these words can be interchangeable. But for this purpose, Paul defines this agape love and what love should look like. And this is what he says. Love is patient and kind. Love, loves, love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Now Paul, as he's sharing this to the Corinthian church, he's showing them that, hey, you know what? If you have all sorts of gifts, spiritual gifts, if God has gifted you in so many ways and you've got these great gifts but you have not love, you're just a resounding gong. That's it. You're just a noisemaker and you got nothing going on. But I'll show you a more excellent way and then he goes on to talk about how we should love, how we should be like God, how we should look like him in our identity. We should be associated with him by this trademark of love. So he gives us positives here and some negatives. The positives are love is patient, it's kind, it rejoices with the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Love is patient. Are you ever tested with your patience with people? Especially people in church? <laughs> I know I am. I'm tested. I'll tell you the other day, uh, Edwin, I'm oh, no, just kidding. <laughs> it's like, God, so messed up. Uh, no. No, but love is patient. 
It's not flying off the handle of people. Love is willing to bear with people, endure with people. It's not expecting results right away. I know we love to do that. We love to say, why can't you be perfect like me? We love to do that. We love to think that we've got it all right. But we should be patient. Patient with each other. Patient with our kids. I'll tell you right now, this is probably where I'm tested most with love, is being patient with my kids. Why do I have to tell you this again? Why do I have to get your attention again about this? And love is kind. And so let's look at the negative of that. The, the negative side of, of it is it's not arrogant or rude, and it does not envy or boast. Love is kind. The opposite of being kind is being arrogant, being rude, being boastful. That's the opposite of kind. Being impatient with somebody, that's the opposite of kind. Well, let's just think for a minute about God and his patience with us, his forbearance with us. How does God deal with us? Is he impatient with us? Well, I can't say that he is because the Bible tells us that He's waiting to return for the fullness of the Gentiles to come in. He's waiting till everyone that it will be saved is saved before his returns. I believe we're getting closer. We're definitely closer than we were yesterday. Seriously, he's coming back. But he's patient. When you think about the holiness of God, he could just go, yeah, you guys are wicked. You guys are evil. Done with all of you wiped out. And you know what? He would be totally just in doing it. Ouch, that's kind of mean, Dave. But it's truthful. Love rejoices in the truth. <laughs> so, God is patient with us, forbearing with us to turn to him. I look at my own life and think about the patience that God had with me. The patience he still has with me. How long it takes me to get certain principles or how long it takes me to understand that certain aspects of my life need to change. I remember waking up in the middle of the night. It was like 2 in the morning in Liberia. And uh, it was December. And I, it was so hot. We were in this jungle. And we hadn't eaten because for some reason... The food hadn't come, and uh, I was there with Hume Lake. We were putting on a camp for all these uh, orphan children. These children had lost their parents during the revolution in Liberia, and it was so hot. It was so hot and humid that the mosquito net, like, trapped heat, and it was just awful, and, like, you had to sleep with them because there was malaria, and I didn't like taking malaria pills, so I quit taking them, so I was like, I need this mosquito net, you know? Um, anyway, so, I don't know, is my wife in here? I kept taking the malaria pills. <laughs> oh, wait, that's right. Love rejoices with the truth. So <laughs> anyway, but I remember waking up in the middle of the night, so hot, frustrated, punching my mosquito net, like, oh, because I just couldn't sleep. I was so sweaty. And I was thinking to myself, how did I get here? How did I end up here? Not, not like, duh, you took a plane. You know, but, but how, did, how did I come to this place in life? And I started thinking back to my living room. Because it was in my living room that the verse, John 14, 6, came to so much truth to me that I finally got it. 
Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. I remember I had started seeking out after which God is real. I, I, I prayed in my room one night. I said, Lord, I don't know who the real God is. I don't know if the Christian God is real, the God of Mormonism. I, I don't know if Buddhism is the right deal because I started seeking these things out, trying to understand them. Because I, I knew that there was, had to be only one God because I knew that verse. I, I knew, when I was a little kid, that verse was given to me on a little sticker. It was a little rainbow sticker with a dove. It was so cheesy. And it said, John 14, 6. And I remember memorizing that verse because when, that way when I was at youth group or something, someone said, what's your favorite verse of John 14, 6? You know, so every now and then I would read that verse. I had no idea what it meant. No idea. And uh, I remember praying one night, all right, God, who's the real God? I want to know you. And uh, I was hoping, <laughs> and I'm totally serious about this, I was really hoping that my lamp would float up and move and set down and be like, yes, you are the God. That's what I was hoping for. That didn't happen. Instead, what happened was I started reading the Gospel of John. And as I read through the Gospel of John, and it got to the end, all of a sudden, it clicked. All of a sudden, I got it. And I fell down on the floor, weeping and asking God for forgiveness. Trying to get lower than the floor. Because for the first time in my life, I had understood that it wasn't about me being good enough. It was all about what Jesus Christ had done on that cross for me. That he paid it all. That all I needed to do was cry out to him and receive him, and he would take my sin upon himself. I remember praying that prayer and just weeping on my living room floor, and that's how I got into Liberia. How patient God was with me with all the times that I had denied him, with all the times that I had done my own thing. You know, God could have said, oh, you accepted Jesus in Sunday school, and now you're, you're living like a total heathen. You're doing this, you're doing that. I'm done with you, Dave. But he allowed me to come to that place where I was ready to surrender. He was patient with me in his love. Love is patient. Doesn't envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. God is not a boastful God. The truth is that God is the only person worthy of worship. And he deserves the worship. We're not worthy of worship. God is not going to boast about himself. He alone is God, and we just need to recognize that. We don't put others below us as Christians. We don't put ourselves in the higher places. The Jews had this idea that when it comes to the great banquet, that they were going to wade through the blood of the Gentiles to the banquet table on the day of the Lord. And that all those who were the lame, the cripple, all those who were unworthy of positions of high places were going to sit farther away. Well, the lame and the cripple wouldn't even get there. But those people with the, the highest place, the synagogue rulers and the, the high priests, they get to sit closer to Messiah. And they had this idea that, that, uh, that it was all about being in high places, 
So Jesus tells a story one day, and he says, hey, i got to tell you a story about a guy who held a banquet. And he held this banquet, and he said, uh, go forth and invite my friends. And so he invited three of his rich friends, and, and those three friends said, oh, yeah, yeah, we'll come. And then when the time of the banquet came, they all said, oh, sorry, we can't make it. I, I just bought a house, and i got to go see the property. Oh, I just bought some new oxen. i got to take them for a test drive. Oh, I, I, I just got married, can't make it to the banquet, not going to come. So the, the, the rich man decided, well, forget these guys. Go out into the highways and the byways. Go out and invite the lame, the cripple, the Gentiles. Go get all those who want to come and invite them into my banquet. When Jesus told that parable, the Jews knew... <laughs> exactly what he was targeting. That he was saying, it's not about you being better than other people. It's about the one you're willing to accept the invitation from. The lame and the crippled, the Gentiles, all those that the Jews were disgusted with were the ones who got into the banquet. And those who were self-righteous and wealthy, <laughs> they got shut out of it. Love is not arrogant, it is not rude. It does not boast. It does not insist on its own way. Dear Christians, look around the room for a minute. See all these people. See how different they are from you. People that are more attractive to you. People that are less attractive. I don't mean in a romantic way. I mean just who you'd hang out with. But know that God has equipped and gifted each one of these so differently and uniquely so that together we can be called his church, his bride, that we can be ready to minister to each other, minister to the kids in the Sunday school, minister to whoever he desires for us to minister to. I know firsthand that without some of, someone that has better administrative skills than me, I, I could not do half the things I do. I, I really appreciate uh, how, how Corey comes up alongside me and, and others come alongside me to help me accomplish different ministries. Because God has equipped us with his gifts. Love doesn't insist on its own way. You shouldn't either. Your way is not always the best way. Love your brothers. It's not irritable or resentful. The NIV translates resentful as love does not keep an account, a record of sin. Man, we are good at this as people by nature. We are good at remembering every wrong that someone has wronged us. And we are good at holding it against them. Husbands and wives, you can do this and totally ruin your marriage with it. Start thinking about, man, they should have treated me differently. I can't believe they're not doing this. I can't believe they're not doing this. They're not, oh, blah, blah, and gaining resentment against the other one. Those of you who are single, it's amazing how resentful you can come to, become towards people. But you know what? The love of God is going to confront you on that. It does not keep a record of wrongs. You're not responsible for the behavior of the other person. You're responsible for your behavior before God. So how do you love? It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love is going to confront wrongdoing. It's not always going to be truthful. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. What Paul is saying here, it's, it's what's called a chiism. And what he's saying here is that there is nothing, 
There is nothing that will conquer love. But love will prevail. There is nothing that will separate you from the love of God. And there is nothing that you can't continue to love through. Man, that is a challenge. That is a challenge for me and it should be a challenge for you. And, and what it should do, because the fact is we don't have time in this sermon to exhaust the love of God. We're just looking at a little picture of it. And so what I would encourage you to do is get into the word and start looking at what love is and how God is, it defines it. So my new identity is marked by love. That's what First John is telling us. This should be my new identity. It's marked by love. That, that means that when John says at the end of verse 21, and this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. I want to challenge you to think about how you've loved your brother. How you've loved, and that includes sisters too. But how you loved, have you gossiped, have you slandered, have you been impatient, have you been unkind? And go seek forgiveness. I had to do that actually this week. We had a, we had a staff meeting and I, I during the staff meeting, I, I, I didn't realize I was being harsh, but I, I was harsh with somebody. And uh, Rod kind of called me on it later on. And he's like, hey, you know, that was kind of harsh. So he spoke to that, that person. And I said, I wasn't trying to be harsh. I was just throwing out a question because uh, I thought that person needed to think about it. And uh, so that's kind of how I just continued on. And then uh, I'm working on my sermon going, yeah, I need to go apologize to this person. <laughs> so I went and I made a public apology to that person because I wanted everybody, and I went and talked to the other people that I'd said it in front of and said, hey, you know, I was wrong with my, the attitude or the, the, the tone that I used when I asked this question during staff meeting. And um, I had to go seek forgiveness. Why? Because I'm supposed to model my Savior. That's why. This is the commandment. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. Last thing I want to point out to you in this passage, 1 John 4, 18. There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Interesting how John tells us, hey, you know what? Just the understanding of God's love for you should drive away fear of punishment. When you start to realize how much God loves you and that he himself sacrificed himself for you, you don't have to be afraid anymore. One of our invite cards has the picture of the scream, you know, the, the person on the pier, I think it's a pier, just like screaming and we put on the bottom of it, you don't have to be afraid anymore. And the whole reason of that is that there's no fear of judgment because Christ's love is so perfect. He paid the price for us. But the question is, have you accessed it yet? Have you yourself said, Lord, I need what you did for me on that cross. I need to be forgiven of my sin. I, I believe in you and I accept what you've done for my life. Have, have you surrendered? Have you come to that place where you're ready to surrender? Because if you have, there's no fear in love. We can know that as we live out our lives in Christ, hey, when I die, I die. Not a big deal. Because I'm going to be with the Lord, and that's way better than this. Of course, if you haven't done that, if you haven't given your life over to Christ, if you haven't said, you know what, I need your redemption of sin for me, you've got a lot to fear. 
And what I would say is be really careful everywhere you go. Because when you breathe your last breath, you've only got judgment to look forward to. And that won't be good. But you don't have to. You don't have to. The invitation of Jesus Christ is open for you too. You can be forgiven. It doesn't matter what you've done. God is a forgiving God. Paul said that he was the worst of sinners. Paul is responsible for many murders of Christians. And it was there on that road to Damascus that he met Christ. And it was in that meeting with Christ that Paul becomes a completely different man. He becomes a champion of the gospel, writing two-thirds of the gospel. He understood the forgiveness that Jesus Christ offered for him on that cross. And it was applied to his life. And it became a changed man. You can too. Let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you, God, for how it challenges us. God, we want to love like you love. God, help us not to skim through these passages, but to really consider how we live our lives, with not only with our families, but friends, coworkers. Everywhere we go, God, help us to be marked by love. That that would be the character trait that people would remember in us, that we love. We love like you, Lord. And in so doing, people know that we're your disciples. If there's anyone in this room that wants to be forgiven of their sin, that wants to receive Jesus Christ as their Savior, let me just encourage you to pray this prayer. Lord Jesus, save me. I want, what, I want what you did for me on that cross. Thank you for dying in my place, taking my sins upon yourself. I'm ready to follow you. God, you are so good to us. We love you, and we ask now that you bless the rest of our worship. In Jesus' name, amen.